I might be mistaken, but I believe my son just experienced an object lesson he's never going to forget. In regards to power, that is. God's power is very real, and we need to remember that as we, as we gather together. We are not coming here to meet with other people. We're here to meet with a living God. We're here to meet with the power that created electricity and the universe and everything inside of it. And so we come with anticipation we are going to meet with, with God. Thank you, Jamie and uh, Paul and everyone else for leading us in worship this morning. Some of the songs you picked I thought were very fitting. I liked the opening song that had the line, In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. That was quite the stormy gale we had a few nights back, wasn't it? Yeah, we were, we were hoping our anchor would hold, weren't we? I was talking to some people who were in uh, campers that night, and they, they were especially hoping that, that things weren't going to go blowing away on them. And one of the things I love about songs like that, those words of faith, is that we know no matter what the storm, no matter what the gale, we are firm in the Lord's grace. No matter what happens to us, he is holding on to us, and we know that whether we live or whether we die, he has his hold on us, and we are confident in that. I would invite you now to bow with me as we enter God's word. Father God, we thank you that you are already here in this place. We don't need to welcome you here. You are here by your Holy Spirit. We simply ask that you would quicken our spirits and our conscience, our minds, that we would be more fully aware of your presence, more fully aware of the way that you want to speak to us by your word, and that you want to guide us into truth by your Holy Spirit as you grant us understanding. And so we pray that you would open our understanding this morning to receive what you have for us. I also ask that you would work in us in such a way that we would not only understand, but that we would receive that, that energy, that vitality to live out what we come to understand. We know that is your, your desire for us, Holy Spirit, is that we would live every day by your power. And so we pray and ask that you would stir in us in such a way that we would, that we would truly do this, not by our own strength, but by yours, by your spirit. Bless this word. Bless each one who is here today to understand it. Give me, Lord, boldness and clarity to speak this word the way you want me to. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. We are wrapping up our series on keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Today's sermon is entitled, Comforted or Comfortable? And we're going to be focusing on John chapter 16 and a few other passages in there as well. Last week we looked at um, specifically how the Holy Spirit, who is first of all God's gift to us, also then gifts us with abilities to serve him to build up the church. And so we are given a gift in order that we might give of our spiritual gifts to others in service. Today we want to continue to look at the idea, pardon me, not the idea, the truth, that the Holy Spirit is not just for our salvation, but also to empower us for service. An Air Force chaplain was transferred to another base and was allowed to decide between two houses on this base. Along with his wife and four-year-old daughter, they went to inspect the two houses. 
As soon as they had finished looking at the first house, their four-year-old daughter announced emphatically that she did not like the house. No problem, they still had one more house to look at, and so they headed over. However, after inspecting the second house, again, the little girl was emphatic. She did not want to live in this house either, and she began to cry, making it quite clear that this was just not an option. So with no other choices remaining, her confused parents asked, What is it that you don't like about these two houses? To which the little girl tearfully replied, Neither of them has any beds. That little girl knew what was important, a good bed to sleep in. Now, obviously, she didn't understand that they would be moving the furniture into the house once they took possession, including beds. But it highlights for us just how important our personal comfort is to us. Whether it's our bed, whether it's our lazy boy, whether it's our heated leather seats in the car. (laughs) I don't have those, but I know some of you do. (laughs) We like to be comfortable, don't we? We love comfort. If we have to pick between something uncomfortable or something comfortable, which are we going to choose? If if we have to pick between things being too hot or too cold or somewhere in between, which one are we going to select? We're going to pick somewhere in between, and all of us are going to want to have our preference as to which in between it is, which is why air conditioners are such a tricky thing. Because for some, 74 is perfect. For some, 69 is perfect. For some, 71 is perfect. Wherever we we go in between, we want it to our comfort level. We like to be comfortable. So let me ask you this morning. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes? Okay. Are you sitting a little bit too comfortably? No, probably not. Because these are hard wooden church pews, right? How could a hard wooden church pew ever be too comfortable? Well, it can actually happen quite easily. I recently read the following article entitled, 10 Signs That Show If Your Christianity Has Become Too Comfortable. As I read them, humbly consider if any of these describe your spiritual life in any way. Number one, you do not attend church with a high level of expectancy of meeting with the living God. In fact, the only thing you expect with any certainty is that eventually you will be able to go home. That's number one. Number two, you no longer feel concerned about the spiritual condition of your neighbors, family members, or colleagues. Number three, you haven't had a spiritual conversation with a non-believer in years. In fact, some of your friends don't even know you go to church. Number four, the Bible seems like a history book. It's lifeless to you and seldom, if ever, read. Number five, your evaluation of a church's ministry is not by whether or not the gospel is going forth changing lives, but by whether or not your personal preferences are being met. As long as you get your parking spot, sit in your seat, and it's not too long, and you hear the music you like, then everything's fine. Number six, the plight of the poor doesn't concern you. Number seven, pictures of people suffering does not stir you into action. Number eight, you do not give to God from the financial resources he has blessed you with. At best, he gets the spare change from your pocket. Number nine, your prayers don't seem to make it past the ceiling. You transmit and don't expect a reply. Number ten, God's miracle-working power is not even on your radar. The reality that God could do something amazing and radical in your life at any moment barely registers. And even if it does, you're not sure where it would fit 
into your full schedule. Now, of the ten signs that I just read that show if your Christianity has become too comfortable, ask yourself, how many of those described your life to some degree? Chances are, if you're honest, one or two of them hit home. And I will readily confess to you that number ten challenged me deeply. Upon reflection, I realize that part of me doesn't really expect God's miracle-working power to show up. Part of me doesn't expect that. It's kind of like being a fan of the Blue Bombers. (laughs) Is anyone here a fan of the Blue Bombers? You know what I'm talking about. You know, I can still remember their last Grey Cup victory way back in 1990. Some of you weren't even born yet. Now, in theory, I know it's possible that the Blue Bombers could win the Grey Cup this year, but do I expect them to? Not really. And in a similar way, most of us can remember a time that the Spirit did something powerful in the past, something in our lives or in the life of the church, but do we expect Him to do anything special this morning, or this week, or this year? And what happens is when we enter worship expecting nothing from God, we typically go home with our expectations met, but never exceeded. But what the Spirit impressed on my heart this week is that to truly know Him, we must experience Him. Our knowledge of the Holy Spirit must be combined with our personal experience of His working. You see, prior to Pentecost, Jesus taught his disciples all about the Holy Spirit. He talked about the Spirit many times, but they didn't really get it. It was only once they had experienced the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that they truly understood and were then empowered to fulfill the Lord Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations. For myself, before working at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp, I intellectually knew very little of the Spirit's work and even less from personal experience. But when the first time came, as a 16-year-old cabin leader, the first time came that a boy asked me how he could follow Jesus too. And I was somehow able to explain to him the plan of salvation. And he then prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. I don't even know how the words came out or in what order, but it all just happened, and, and that night I instantly knew that someone far greater than myself had been speaking through me. And when similar experiences and many others followed over the years where words and wisdom and ability came out of me in response to a wide variety of circumstances that I had no prior training for, no personal experience of, and somehow it just happened, I eventually came to realize that the ability came from the Holy Spirit. And had I not experienced him, I would not be up here today telling you about him. Of that I am utterly certain. And over these past four weeks, we have learned many things about the Holy Spirit, how he works, how he moves, the different gifts and abilities that he gives. But if that's where it stays, and you find yourself simply coasting and comfortable in your church pew, in your Christian life, then the Spirit desires for you to experience Him personally. He desires to rouse you from a comfortable existence of status quo living to the adventure He wants to lead you on. And I believe far too many Christians are content or simply resigned to living a stale, and if we're being perfectly honest, a boring Christian existence. 
They then avoid this truth by living vicariously through the stories of others who are or have lived all out for Jesus. But while the stories of others can move and inspire us, the most important story is the one that God wants to lead you on, the one he wants to lead me on. Dry, boring, predictable, safe, comfortable religion is the very last thing that Jesus called his followers to. He said things like, pick up your cross, deny yourself, where I am, my servant will be also. And where did Jesus go? He went to the cross. He went to the poor. He went to the suffering. Where I am, there my servant will be also. There was no no call to comfort anywhere in any one of Jesus' invitations. His only call to comfort was that he would be the source of comfort. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is our comfort, not our circumstances. Now, the Pharisee Nicodemus, he was accustomed to just that type of formal, dry, predictable, safe, comfortable religion. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verses 5 to 8. This is what Jesus answered to Nicodemus' reply about being born again. He didn't get it. And Jesus said to him, verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Is your Christian life as comfortable as command start and heated leather seats on a cold winter morning? Are, are your experiences of the Spirit's indwelling power as infrequent as the Blue Bombers winning a Grey Cup? Or worse still, is your faith walk as predictable as the Toronto Maple Leafs not making the playoffs? Is is that where things are at today? Then Jesus is telling you, listen to what he just said. Stop living in the power of your flesh and be born of the Spirit. Paul echoes that with, keep in step with the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. In other words, yield, give over, surrender full control of your life to the Spirit's work, and then hold on for the ride. Because he is like the wind. He will go this way and then that way. He will go up and down. And as long as we are in step with him, we will be with him every step of the way. And now when Jesus says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit, when he says everyone, I believe he means everyone. This isn't just for a couple of super spiritual Christians. This isn't just for the upper crust who really are in tune with the Spirit. No, he says, if you're born of the Spirit, then everyone who is born of the Spirit will be in step with the Spirit. Where the Spirit goes, the disciple will be also. Everyone. And Jesus does not just mean we yield control of the Holy Spirit for a couple of hours a week, maybe on a Sunday morning, a few moments here and there during the week, or when we really, really need him. No, We yield our entire lives and the 24 hours of each day into his control. Make no mistake about it. God's desire and his design is to free us from complacent, comfortable existence 
and into a vibrant and fulfilling experience of him every single day. And here's the rub. He will do whatever is necessary to do so. He will. He simply loves us too much to leave us where we are. Remember, he is transforming us into his image. That's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? Like, I know with where I'm starting from to get me from, from base-level Danny Greening into the image of Christ, there's a whole lot of work to do. And I am thankful that the Lord Jesus loves me too much to leave me down here. No, he is pulling me. He is prodding me. He is, he is working. And yes, that work includes discipline. Yes, that work includes correction and trials. Because through those all, he is bringing me more into his likeness. His work in me demands it. And I am so thankful that he is not willing to leave me where I am. And he is not willing to leave you where you are either. He wants to work in us in a new way. And to continue to transform us into his likeness. There's an old saying that the preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Has anyone ever heard that one before? Probably. It's been repeated many times. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. This is precisely how the Holy Spirit works as well. There are times when the Holy Spirit comes to us in our sorrows and our trials as a comforter. And there are times that he comes to us in our complacency and in our disobedience and he brings conviction. Listen to how Jesus describes the Spirit to his disciples in John chapter 16. I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to be looking at it a little bit more closely. John 16. And I want you to listen to verse 7. And I'm going to read it for you in the King James Version. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Other translations of the Comforter are Helper, Advocate, Intercessor, and Counselor. In other words, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so rich that no single title, at least in English, can describe him completely. His work is is so vast. But one of the descriptions is that he comforts us. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right here. Well, pastor, if the Spirit is our comforter and he comforts us, then what's so bad about my being comfortable? Isn't that what he wants? Right? So what, what's, what's going on here? What does that mean? Doesn't the Spirit desire that? Well, let's look at the context of what Jesus says here. John 16 and verses 1 to 3. This is what Jesus just told them prior to describing the Holy Spirit as a comforter. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue... In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. As commentator Leon Morris writes, The work of the Holy Spirit in the church is done in the context of persecution. The Spirit is not a guide and a helper for those on a straight way, perfectly able to manage on their own. He comes to assist men caught up in the thick of battle and tried beyond their strength. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit coming to the disciples as a comforter was not in the context of them living peacefully in a nice Jerusalem suburb with a wife, four kids, two dogs, a good-paying job, and a two-mule garage. That is not the context. Far from it, the context of the Spirit coming as a comforter is when they are being kicked out of the synagogue and even killed by men believing they are serving God, just as Saul later did with Stephen, because they are simply telling people about Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit comforts those who are suffering because they are being obedient in service to God. He is not coming as a comforter to those whose feet are up in the lazy boy with Netflix on the TV. That's not the context. The disciples, we read later on in the book of Acts, the disciples were arrested, dragged before the Sanhedrin, flogged, and then told to shut up in no uncertain terms, stop talking about this Jesus. And what did those disciples do when they left that day? They said, oh boy, that really hurt. My back's still bleeding. We better stop talking about Jesus. Is that what they said? No, you know the story. They left rejoicing. That word doesn't fit. Rejoicing? They were just persecuted. They were just threatened with their lives. Their backs are still bleeding and they leave rejoicing. Why? Because they've been counted worthy of being able to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. My friends, if that is not the Holy Spirit coming to them as their comforter, I don't know what is. That was an exact fulfillment of Jesus' words, you will be taken before the Sanhedrin. And they were, and they left rejoicing. The Spirit had come to them in their time of trial as a comforter, and he had strengthened them. And they left rejoicing, and they doubled down on telling others about Jesus. They weren't going to be silenced, they were going to be more bold. In John chapter 16, and verses 8 to 11, Jesus continues with the alternative. He can come to us as a comforter, but what about to those who are being disobedient? This is how the Holy Spirit comes to those who are disobedient. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Those who believe and obey receive the Spirit who comforts. Those who don't or disobey receive the Spirit who convicts. Now, speaking from experience, I can tell you, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not always pleasant. It's not. When you come under the heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit because of disobedience or sin, it is, it is, it's something other than pleasant or comfortable. But if you are coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, though it may not be pleasant in the moment, I beg you, my friends, receive it. Receive it. Don't resent it. Receive it, for it leads to life. The Holy Spirit does not desire to come bringing conviction so that we would feel condemned and judged. No, he brings conviction so that we might turn to Christ and receive grace and mercy and strength to continue on. His conviction is not unto condemnation, guilt, or judgment. No, it is unto pardon, grace, and freedom. 
There is true freedom in Christ when we give in to the Holy Spirit's work within us. I want us to read a couple of verses now from one of Paul's epistles to the Galatians, chapter 5. And there I'm going to read beginning at verse 1, and then I'm going to skip ahead and read verses 13 to 16. Galatians 5, verse 1. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. For if you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, this is now skipping ahead to verse 13. For if you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. These verses make it clear that Christ has set us free to live in freedom. And how do we live in this freedom? By letting the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You see, if we use our freedom in Christ to simply keep on living in the flesh, seeking our own comfort, seeking our own pleasure, doing what we want, then it's no surprise that out of that flesh, out of that sinful nature, biting and bickering still goes on within the church. To this, Paul says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? Serve one another in love. Christ's freedom used as a 007-esque license to sin is no freedom at all. It enslaves, it corrupts, it binds, it destroys, it stops us from being all that God, God has called us to be. Freedom used as license to sin causes us to retreat into our comfort zones and stay there. We get beset with those, those sins that so easily tangle us up, that so easily slow us down. And when we get comfortable in that place, we start to believe the lies that we will not be able to do what God has called us to do. We will not be able to live out the great commission to make disciples of all nations. Sometimes in that place, we get to the point where we see just how far we can push the limits of God's grace and still be okay. To this, Paul says, God forbid... God forbid that we would abuse the grace of Christ to indulge in our own flesh, flesh and sin desires. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? That isn't what our freedom is all about. No, our freedom is not about seeing how far we can walk in our old ways and the power of our flesh. The Father sent his Son to set us free from that. Set us free from sin. The Son died on the cross and rose from the grave to free us from the consequences of our sin. And now the Spirit comes to guide us to live in that freedom. Not for our own selfish ambitions or personal comforts, but to obey God completely and to serve each other in love. That is what he has come to free us for. Is Jesus your Savior? I hope so. But if you answer yes to, is Jesus your Savior, let me also follow that up with, is Jesus your Lord? Is he your boss? Is he your final authority for all matters of faith and life and conduct? That is what he, that, nothing short of that. He did not just come to save, he came to rule. 
And when we submit to him as Savior, we also need to submit to him as Lord. He is in charge. He is in control. Maybe like the rich young ruler, you like the idea of following Jesus. But you don't want to surrender any of the creature comforts of this life, whether the heated leather seats, the pocket coil beds, the couches, the Netflix, the air ride suspensions. Maybe you feel too old or too young or too busy or too tired or too unqualified. But maybe, maybe it's time that we just stop making excuses before God. Maybe it's time we just stop making excuses as to why we can't be more obedient, why we can't be more yielded, why we can't be more engaged. Maybe it's time we just let God be God. We let God be God. We let the Spirit do what the Spirit desires to do. Maybe it's time to simply obey God's Word and surrender our lives fully to His Spirit. Maybe it's time to stop taking others' word for it and experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life personally. Discover firsthand how he he so patiently and so gently and so skillfully transforms us from the inside out. How he empowers and gifts and guides us to obey him and to serve others in love. Maybe God is challenging you in a specific way to step out of that comfortable life you've been living and to step out in an act of faith of service to to someone else because we know we never need to question. If we are serving someone else in love, we never need to question if this is the Lord's will. If you feel the Lord prompting you to go work at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp this summer, let me just tell you right now, you don't need to spend a whole lot of time on your knees in prayer saying, oh Lord, is it your will that little boys and girls hear about Jesus? We don't, need to, we don't need to spend time in prayer about that. No, it is the Lord's will, my friends. It is the Lord's will that boys and girls are told about Jesus this summer. And it is his will, as the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out workers into that harvest field. So if the Lord is tapping you like, hey, you've got all these plans for your summer that you want to do, but they're all about you. What about my kingdom? We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray, Lord, send out workers into, the, into the, the harvest. And when we pray that prayer, don't be surprised when you say amen. The Lord is tapping you on the shoulder saying, you just prayed a really good prayer. I'm sending you. Go. Go in my name. Go in my power. This is the will of the Father. You don't need to wonder. Maybe the Lord's tapping you on the, on the shoulder saying, hey, you've never taught Sunday school before, but is it the Lord's will that the boys and girls of this church are taught about the Lord, about the scripture, about the way they should live? Absolutely. We don't need to wonder that. So, Sean is looking for Sunday school teachers for the fall. Maybe the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder. We don't need to wonder if the Lord wants the children to be taught. Maybe the Lord is saying, hey, you've got a heart for the people in your community, right around you, your your block, your neighborhood. You're getting to know some of them. Maybe he wants you to start just a one-on-one home Bible study with your neighbor. Maybe he wants you to to just volunteer to pray at the restaurant or at the coffee shop when everyone's kind of awkwardly scratching their foreheads, not making it look too much like you're praying. Maybe just be so bold as to say, would you guys mind if I prayed for this meal? There are so many opportunities where the Spirit wants us to step out of what's safe and comfortable and actually live out this faith that we profess. For anything less, anything less is to be like that rich young ruler. We want to have it both ways. We want to be comfortable, but we still want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you got to choose. 
You've got to decide. And so as we close here today, as we wrap up this series, as we head into the summer, let me just ask you right here, right now, are you willing to just fully yield to the Holy Spirit's work within you? Just say, Lord, I don't understand everything about you. You're mysterious to me, but I know you are good. I know your ways are for my good, and I want to just yield completely to you. Are you ready to do that? Maybe you've done that in the past, and you're recognizing this morning that you've allowed comfort and just the status quo to to cloud that decision, to get in the way. Maybe the Lord wants you to recommit to him this morning, to say, whatever you want for my life, Lord, I am saying yes, no matter what the cost. I am saying, yes, Lord. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to serve others in love? Are you ready to ask the Lord truly to work within you in whatever way he sees fit? Because remember, it's his work, not our own. We don't get to pick and choose the ways that he works within us. It is his work. He decides. We just need to surrender to him. The choice lies before us. And so I would invite you to bow with me this morning. And as we bow, I would simply ask, and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to whisper to our hearts whatever he wills. And I want to invite you to say, yes, Lord, have your way in me. Whatever the cost, whatever you are calling me to, Lord, I choose in this moment to stop making excuses and to simply say, yes, Lord, thy will be done in my life fully, completely. Holy Spirit, we admit that there is part of us that feels fear, Your unpredictable ways at times causes us concern for what if you call us to do something that we really don't want to do? What if you call me to the mission field? What if you call me to some faraway land? What if you call me to my neighbor next door? Oh Lord, these things frighten us. But you have called us to be strong and of good courage. And you have promised that your power that is at work within us, will give us everything that we need to be obedient to you. And so, Lord, where we are fearful, help us to instead come to you with simple faith as a child and to say, Lord, whatever you have in store for me, whatever you are calling me to, I say yes. Yes, Lord. Work in me, work through me. Use my life in whatever way you see fit, for your glory. Help me, O Lord, to stop seeking my own comfort ahead of your kingdom. Help me, O Lord, to make you the highest priority, the Lord of my life, in every single aspect. Have your way, O Lord. Have your way in us. Have your way in this church. Work in us, Father, as we go forth from here. May this not just be one morning, but may this be something that goes forth unto eternal life, not only for ourselves, but for others who have yet to hear of your grace, your love, and your amazing salvation. We ask this all in Jesus' name.